0: that you remember or that you would notice in god's faithfulness to you this thanksgiving week what short testimonies real quick just shout them out what are you thankful for family a new job health. calvary health. good health willem says praise god somebody in the other service shouted out two and a half years cancer free and they're thankful for that one more daily grace. daily grace praise god for his daily grace guidance, your church family. Amen and amen. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we are blessed. The greatest blessing of all is the Lord Jesus Christ and our great salvation in Christ. And thank you for your daily grace. You sustain us. You walk with us through the dark valleys. You have abundantly met our needs for another year. And we want to be a grateful and thankful people this week. And we want to live with hearts of gratitude and speak words of thanksgiving, and we want to be thinking thanksgiving. Father, I pray that you'll take your word, as you often do in this hour, through the Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I had referenced earlier that uh, yesterday was a big day here with the memorial service for Ron Wynn, and... um, So grateful for all who participated and were helpful. One of the things that the family chose to do at the end of that memorial service, and it had gone nearly two hours, um, they asked the um, audience to just remain a few more minutes, and they showed um, a slide presentation that was prepared on Ron's life um, for his 80th birthday just one year ago. You see, Ron just turned 81 a week or so ago, and now he's in glory. It was very helpful to me, and I think our Fellowship Bible Church people who were able to be there, because if you stop and think about it, most of us have only known Ron uh, from age 76 to 81, about that window of time, and uh, so it was really neat to see the slideshow of his entire life, and, and uh, to just appreciate the influence and the impact of a man who just lived for Jesus, and he lived for Jesus, and he touched lives. And it was so evident yesterday at the service. Well, as I was sitting here watching that slideshow at the end of that service, I happened to pick out in the background of one of the slides a yellow four-door Datsun 510. (laughs) I used to have one like that, only different... I was on campus at Appalachian Bible College as a student. I, I was out running one day, and I noticed up next to a married student's trailer, a uh, mobile home, that there was a yellow four-door Datsun sedan, 510. I think that Nissan replaced Datsun or absorbed them. But it was a really great car. Only the car that I saw, yellow, just like the one Ron had, I think mine was a 1968, and uh, so this is about 1980 when I was out running, and I saw this car with a a horrifically smashed in front right corner, and um, uh, I thought, I could fix that car, and I looked it over a little bit. I think I got it for $300 with the help of my brother-in-law. We mudded it together, got a headlight to point in the right direction, and uh, the classiest lady on campus, Janet Parsons, was my girlfriend already then, and she was not too proud to ride in my Datsun 510. And uh, we, we covered many miles in that Datsun 510. I think back, and I can't believe her dad let me drive her around in that thing. Uh, but that brought to mind um, a problem that that car had was that it burned points. Now, now let me bring back to your mind some of you. Others of you have no idea what we're talking about, but let me bring back to your mind something that some of you haven't said for a long time. You haven't said, this car needs a tune-up. You just don't say that anymore. You see, cars had to have points to need a tune-up and a distributor cap that you take off and there's points that gapped and they would they would pull apart and short out the electric spark and then when they touched, they would send a spark down through the spark plug wires to the spark plugs. And my dad had a timing light. Do you know what a timing light is? And, and he would turn the timing light on and there was a check mark on the flywheel and they would get it in time because you had to have your motor in time. You had to have the engine. You had to have your you had to have your points gapped just right or the thing just wouldn't run right. And that was a tune-up when you put new, and you had to replace your plugs often, the fuel was dirtier back then, and you replace your wires, your distributor cap, the rotor button, and the the points. I became pretty good at that with that Dotson 510, and I want to challenge us today that today is a day that begins part one of a two-part tune-up for Fellowship Bible Church. Sometimes you need to stop, and you just got to get everything right, you know? You just got to tune up things and get the engine running a little better, and that has to do with, are we thankfully thinking? Are we thankful thinkers? Is thanksgiving a dynamic that is evident in our Christian walk? I want to show you this morning from God's Word that this is a a regular theme that threads through the Bible. And particularly this morning, I want us to focus on the teaching of the Apostle Paul on this subject of being thankful. Being a church and a pastor that are characterized by gratitude. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Not the least would be the Psalms. There's a lot about praise and thanksgiving in the Psalms. Uh, I want us to focus on the teaching and the ministry of the apostle paul and my specific reason, reasoning for that is is that and you tell me when the apostle paul wrote a letter to whom did he write almost always to whom did the apostle paul write a church he wrote to churches now he wrote his pastoral epistles he wrote to timothy He wrote to titus he wrote a letter to a friend on behalf of a runaway slave uh, the book of philemon but often when the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, he was writing to encourage the churches. And it was with some exhortation and correction and instruction. And so let's just take the the teaching from the Apostle Paul today as though he were here, as though he were coming to encourage our church. And he was going to encourage us along this line of being thankful in our thinking I want to begin by laying a groundwork, though, of a word of caution. The first part of our sermon is a word of caution because I want you to see that it is a very serious thing to be characterized by being ungrateful. Uh, There are several passages of Scripture that address this, but I want to uh, begin with Romans chapter 1, and this is a a significant passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is laying a groundwork in his letter to the Romans, the Roman believers there, and he's writing in this passage, beginning with verse 18 of chapter 1 of Romans, he's addressing specifically Gentiles. He's talking about people who God did not deliver Special revelation through the Word of God to them specifically. Remember back in Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then how does that end? To the Jews first, and then to the Greeks or Gentiles. All right? And what did he mean by that? Well, he meant that the Jewish people were the ones, and our Bible is very Jewish. We're learning that in our study in Hebrews but the Jews are the ones that receive direct revelation from God through the prophets. all right. And ultimately, much of the Bible was written by Jewish writers and authors. But the pagans, the Gentiles, the Greeks, everybody who was a non-Jew... They did not receive this special word from God. And Paul is arguing that all people everywhere are accountable to the truth and all people everywhere are guilty in their hearts of sinning against the holy God. Whether or not God has revealed direct revelation to them, there is a thing called natural revelation and they are accountable to God to respond to that level of truth. And they will be held accountable. And though natural revelation might not be enough truth to save you, it is certainly enough truth to condemn you. Let me show you what I mean. And, and I want you to see this. I can easily bog down in this passage. as there's, It references some things that I care deeply about. And eventually we need to have a thorough study of this passage But for our purposes this morning, let's just bump into it. And we're reading Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it's a warning passage. And the, the wrath of God is unfolding against those who suppress the truth in their unrighteous living. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Now that's interesting, isn't it? All the pagans wandering around the world, all the people who reject God wandering around the world, God says to them, what you need to know about me is really plain and visible to you. You're just not seeing it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Let me illustrate this, what he's saying here. Okay? Let's all look up here at the pulpit. You can see the top of it sticking above the Thanksgiving decorations here. Okay? Now, no one in this room would believe me if I said... Do you know we never had a pulpit before and then, shazam, out of nowhere, a pulpit appeared on our platform. It just came out of nothing. No one would believe that because you all know by looking at this pulpit, the fact that there is a pulpit demands a pulpit maker. All right? That's what he's talking about here. When you look around the natural world and it is far more complex than this pulpit, you are to to say to yourself, self Somebody had to make all this stuff. Not only that, this pulpit is carefully designed. It is beautifully trimmed out with raised panel, with crown molding, uh, with the stained hardwood cover top. I went to Independent Bible Church, took a piece of paper, pencil, and a tape measure. I sketched it out fairly sloppily, handed it to a carpenter named Perry Jackman. Perry took that scrap paper to his shop, and this is what happened. Why? Because the pulpit maker went to work And he thought about it and he designed it well and it doesn't rock. It's on four corners. The pitch of the slant is just right. I lowered it one inch from the pulpit that we modeled it after because I wanted it one inch lower and it's thought through and it works and it serves its purpose beautifully. So not only do you know there's a pulpit maker, but you know that there's an intelligent pulpit maker. There is design and there is function and it works. And so no one would believe that there was some kind of nothingness and in that nothingness it spontaneously blew up and out of that came our pulpit. That is like the most ignorant thing that anybody in the world could ever believe. And that's what he's talking about here. That they chose to believe that everything happened from nothing rather than to respond to the natural truth of revelation around them. Now I want you to see something here. By the way, that is the foundational lie of all lies. You'd understand that? You young people, some of you are home from college. It's great to see you. If you have a professor at college who's teaching you evolution and you have to get a grade to pass the class, so be it. But burn the textbook when you're done. If you're in a Christian college that's teaching theistic evolution, my counsel is transfer to a different college. This lie of evolution is like the lie of all lies. It is a foundational lie to all the other lies. Why do you think that there's confusion as to who can marry today? Why do you think there's confusion about what gender people can choose they want to be? Why do you think our young Because somewhere along the line everybody began to believe that this beautiful, marvelously created world that was engineered by the ultimate engineer to whom we are accountable, they chose to believe that he doesn't exist, and they said that there was nothing, there was just vast nothingness, and then out of that nothingness was a huge explosion, and then out of that explosion came everything complexly beautiful as we see it. Wow, I'm impressed with that. Please don't believe that. You see, evolution was began and promoted by people who purposely knew God and left God and rejected God and... Through the devil's lies, our young people often believe that everything came from nothing. It is the most basic of all lies, and it is an ignorant lie. It, it, it strikes against all common kindergarten-level logic. Don't be deceived. Look what he says. For although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him, nor did they give thanks to him... But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. What a scathing summary of people who reject God. And isn't it interesting, he doesn't say that they became unholy. He doesn't say that they became, uh, you know, unkind to one another. He says they became unthankful. They are ingrates. And so, one of the cautions as we begin is that, as a word of caution this morning, continuing to just lay a foundation to our study, is that people who intentionally reject God are unthankful people. Do not identify with them. Secondly, I want you to see that, uh, that thankless people are people to be avoided. People to be avoided. Turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look quickly here. By the way, I have chosen for the balance of our study, uh, most of our study, which by nature is topical, will come from Ephesians, Colossians, a little bit from Philippians. And so we're only going to have to turn in our Bibles a few pages at a time. So it should not be too frustrating at all as we study the word together. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, will you please? And notice this. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, beginning with verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, you say, when are the last days? All of the writers of the, of the epistles of the New Testament believe themselves to be living in the last days. Really, the, the, the era of the church is the last days. So we are living in the last days, and we have been for some time. Okay? Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents what's the next word ungrateful that's incredible look at this unholy heartless unappeasable slanderous without self-control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is anybody doubting this list at all? Don't we see it every day? Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What's the next three-letter sentence? Avoid such people. So there's a checklist for you right there. And included in that list are ungrateful people, people who are ingrates, people who do not appreciate, people who have no sense of gratitude. It's a serious thing. Those people are to be avoided, he says. Letter C, we also want to recognize that people who walk in darkness are thankless people. Turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and that will set us up and position us in our Bibles for the remainder of our study. But when you get to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll not read the whole chapter, but let me just show you what he's talking about here. He is contrasting here people who know Christ and who walk in the love of Christ, with people who walk in darkness, they don't know Christ, they've never been to the cross, they've never understood their sinfulness, or if they have, they have in their pride and arrogance refused to yield to Christ, so they've never been washed in the blood of Christ where Jesus substituted in at the cross, took our sin upon himself. And through his grace and his love and his kindness gives us this free gift of his righteousness that fits us to be able to stand before a holy God and that alone, okay? That's what makes someone born again is they understand that Christ died on the cross for their sin and they've repented of that. They've admitted it to be true. They've renounced it and repented it and they've accepted the finished work of Christ on their behalf by faith in Christ alone. No works, only by his goodness. I wonder if that's you today. He says, therefore, if you have been born again, if you have accepted this free gift of God's salvation and Christ's righteousness is now yours and your sinfulness has been put on him and you're covered in the blood of Christ. Therefore, then be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But here's a word of contrast. But. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. It's not proper for those sins of the flesh to be named among the church. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, look what he says. But instead, let there be... Isn't that interesting? Let there be gratitude. Let there be thanksgiving. I would have expected him to say, let there be self-control. Let there be a life of holiness. Let there be obedience. He says, let there be thanksgiving. No, don't imitate the old ways that you used to walk in darkness. You are now children of the light, and children of the light are characterized by thanksgiving because they are so grateful for the shed blood of Christ that has transformed their lives, and they no longer walk in darkness. They cannot not be thankful. God's people are thankful people. And so a third warning here is that people who walk in darkness are ungrateful people. Do not be like that. So there's just a few thoughts on the the gravity or the serious nature of the kinds of people that the Bible identifies as being unthankful people. So now let's channel, challenge ourselves with a little checklist of just three areas of, of identifying gratitude in our own lives. The first is, gratitude is to be a natural part of our vocabulary and our conversation. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, gratitude is to be a natural part of your conversation and your vocabulary. I want you to see, okay, turn back, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, turn back to your right, uh, just about three pages, maybe four pages in your Bible, to Colossians chapter three. And I want you to see in verse 17 here what he says. He says, Paul instructing the Colossi believers, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to god the father through him do you see this like blanket attitude of thanksgiving so you read so and whatever you do in word or deed first thessalonians 5 says in everything give thanks so we got to think a minute okay it says in whatever i do what area can i not be thankful no it's not there In other words, it is to be something that is embedded in the DNA of a believer in the Lord Christ, that that gratitude and thanksgiving is evidenced in them, and that naturally. Number one is just naturally in our lives, in our conversation, in our vocabulary, we just naturally spill over with words of gratitude. Let me give you a personal illustration, and not to toot my own horn, but toot toot um, it occurred to me one day that we have this magic hamper in our house this is a beautiful set of cabinets and vanity sink in Janet's bathroom there's an alarm that goes off if I walk in there but um, it's, it's very nice and the bottom cabinet door opens and a wire basket opens and, and I sneak in there and throw my dirty clothes in that wire basket do you have one of those at your house And and I have this basket, and almost every Monday afternoon, all of the nasty, dirty clothes that I put in that basket for a whole week show up in front of my closet door in a laundry basket, beautifully laundered, smelling good, folded, all categorized crew neck T-shirts, V-neck T-shirts, socks, everything right there. And I think that's great. Great. I lived for a year by myself following Bible college while I was waiting for Janet to finish college. And I did an internship and I lived in this apartment and it was, it was squalor, man. It was bad. It was, I did not like making food by myself and I especially didn't like doing clothes. And I don't know when along the line, but it just occurred to me that really is not a magic hamper. But I really love it that my clothes show up clean and orderly and put back together. And so it occurred to me, I needed to say thank you for that. And so I do, I try almost every week, I try to say, "Janny, thank you so much for washing and folding my clothes. I love it that you do that. I really do. That's a simple illustration of just the natural spillover of your life, that you are a person of gratitude. You express and communicate thanksgiving, Secondly, though, we want it to be intentional. It needs to happen intentionally. Uh, if you turn to your right a little bit further, just stop at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. You can see it here really clearly. And then I listed other illustrations. The Apostle Paul almost always begins his letters with intentional words of gratitude. He almost always begins his letters to the churches. Not just, ne- it is natural for him, but it is intentional is what I want you to see. We give thanks to God always, First Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. But it's not just in general, it's intentional. Remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he does in all of his letters, and you can take the time to pursue that thread. I just mentioned a couple of them there. So let's have a checkpoint here before we move on. Do you hear yourself using words of thanksgiving? If you don't hear yourself using words of thanksgiving, you're probably not thinking words of gratitude. If we do not hear ourselves speaking words of gratitude, it is time for a serious heart exam. What's going on in your heart if you are not characterized by words of gratitude. Guys, you should check yourself. You should ask your wife if you have a wife. You should ask your wife if you have one, or if you don't, ask your mom or somebody, your sister. Say, am I a thankful person? Because sometimes I find in my life, I think I'm a certain way, and and I'm really probably not. It's very helpful to have the truth detector in our home look at me and say, no, no. I don't, I don't think you were today anyway. Well, I thought my heart was bubbling over with Thanksgiving. Nope, <laughs> didn't show. You see, if we're not hearing ourselves say with our words, our mouths, our tongues, words of gratitude and thanksgiving, what's wrong with our heart? That these words aren't making it out. It occurred to me, and you can look in your text box. Let's just click these off. We'll not camp on them at all. But it occurred to me that there are at least three common maladies that go on in people's hearts that keep them from being characterized by speech that is grateful. One is selfishness. Selfishness. You ever notice that selfish people are usually arrogant people. And arrogant, selfish people are almost never grateful people. They believe that they belong in the front of the line. They believe that they are the smartest guy in the room. They believe that they do deserve the biggest piece of pie. You see, they're selfish, so they're not grateful. They believe that everyone else in the world was put on the planet to wait upon them. Selfishness is a gratitude killer. How about bitterness? How about bitterness... That leads to our third one, which is a lack of forgiveness. Now, I don't pretend to know what all you've been through in your lifetime. And I don't know the hurts that people have brought upon you or some of the heartaches you've had to deal with or some of the atrocities that you've had to live through. But I do know that bitterness and a lack of forgiveness are related, and I do know that bitter people are rarely thankful people, and people who are not ready to forgive are often not thankful people as well. I want to challenge you to examine your heart and ask God to soften your heart if it's become hard. And, and I know you cannot undo the the, the difficulties. You cannot un, undo the hurt. You can only lay it at the foot of the cross, but if you've let a seed of bitterness take root and it's sprouting up into a tree of bitterness, you are not a thankful person. You do not want to live like that. You do want to model our Lord Jesus, where Paul wrote in Ephesians that he we are to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as, in, even as God in Christ forgave us. Uh, I don't pretend to know everything, all of the theology that's packed in that little verse, I do know that it begins with an attitude of forgiveness. That God initiated an act of kindness, of reconciliation with people who hated him. God went first. When people had offended him with sin, God initiated. God went first. And he was willing to forgive in Christ before they ever said they were sorry. So at the least, it is a heart-prepared attitude that is ready to forgive in person for reconciliation if the time ever comes. Your heart is ready to forgive. You have in your heart before God forgiven that person. You're ready to leave it behind. Sometimes that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying selfishness, bitterness, lack of forgiveness are all dynamics that can be found in people who are characteristically ungrateful. Examine your heart. Letter B, our second item on our checklist for thankful thinking is that gratitude is to be a natural result of our sanctification gratitude is to be a natural result of our sanctification flip back just one page if you only went to Colossians 1 flip the page back to Colossians chapter 3 and we'll not read this entire text either this is verses 1 through 17 of Colossians chapter 3 it is an excellent passage for homework this week tuck your sermon notes in there when you leave today and make a point to open your Bible before next Sunday and if you do read this passage it's a very encouraging passage And it's talking about our sanctification. Well, what is that? Well, let's read the text and then let's add a little bit of definition to it. And I think you can easily understand what it means to be sanctified or involved in the ongoing work of sanctification. Sanctification has several parts to it. The part we're talking about here today is an ongoing work in the life of the believer So here it is. He says right away in chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, all right, so when we're born again, we've been to the cross, covered in the blood of Christ, our sin is forgiven. God, in his mind, identifies us with the death the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, spiritually speaking. You haven't been there physically, but when you've been born again and you've been to the cross, in the mind of God, when he justifies you, and he declares you righteous, in his mind, you are now identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. That's a great privilege. It's a great position. And you have been raised with Christ. So seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. See, we've been through a transformation. We've been saved. We've been born again. We've had this work go on in us. Now look what he says. If that's you, you have been raised with Christ. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So, by the way, if we were diagramming that sentence, what is the subject? It's going to be in parentheses. The subject, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? You. You do it. So I have a responsibility to be engaged along with God at work in me, in my salvation and the Holy Spirit who indwells me to work together towards growing in Christ likeness and separating from sin. So look what he says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. And he goes on and on. And then he gets to verse 12 and he says, and do this, put on. So put off all this garbage and put on... As God's chosen ones, verse 12, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and the list goes on. And look how he ends it. And verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And look at this, and be thankful. Again, he didn't say, and be holy, and be obedient, and be righteous, and and be thankful. Because why? Because people who recognize that the blood of Christ has cleansed them from all sin and are no longer seated in the seat of condemnation and have been declared righteous by a holy God, justified for all of eternity, who have a high priest seated in the heavenlies, (laughs) you just can't not be thankful. You recognize the contrast. Wayne Grudem, in his theology text, has a, a definitions part in the back of the book—a kind of a dictionary of theological terms—and he does, he defines sanctification in layman's terms terms like this. Sanctification is a progressive work of God. Now, notice the word "progressive." Did you see that? Progressive means there's progress. There's things that are ongoing. This aspect of our sanctification happens from the moment we're saved until we're in the presence of Christ and we would call that glorification until we die and are in heaven or the Lord returns and takes us to himself. So you never get to not work at your Christ-likeness. And do not be confused. God doesn't do this on his own. God doesn't make you walk in the right direction on a certain city block. God does not make you go to the third aisle over in a certain store to go get certain things. God, He'll just stand there and watch you. You say, well, he could stop me if he wanted to. Yes, he could. But almost always he doesn't. But you'll have a little voice of the Holy Spirit inside. Don't walk this way. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Look straight ahead. Do not walk with the ungodly do not stand in the way do not sit in the seat of the mockers you have to make choices and when you make those choices god will at work in you and you can feel his power in you but he won't do it by himself that's practical sanctification that's progressive sanctification that's the progress let's finish our definition of a progressive work of God and mankind together that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. In other words, the more you agree with God and the more you let your behavior be controlled by the mind of God and you cooperate with Him, the more you will actually want to do that. And you will grow more and more like Christ. And what I want you to see is he goes on and he's going to get after... Verse 15, 14 and 15 there, and he says, and be thankful. Thanksgiving is a natural spinoff of ongoing work, God's ongoing work of sanctification in my life. Isn't that interesting? Thirdly, I want you to see that gratitude, well, no, we got our checkpoint. Let's make sure we pick up our checkpoint here. Um, a thankless Christian is an immature Christian. A thankless Christian is an immature Christian. Think about that. If connected to our sanctification is the progress of growing in Christ-likeness and I don't hear thankful words coming out of my mouth, then it is very likely that I am not growing in sanctification. You understand my logic? So therefore, if you're... If you are identifiable as a thankless Christian, you are not a growing Christian, you are an immature Christian. Mature Christians will be the most thankful people you have ever hung out with. Thirdly, gratitude is to be a consistent theme in our prayer and our praise. Listen, you understand this. This is not a dead horse to be beaten. But here's just three checkpoints. Gratitude is to be a natural part of our vocabulary and our conversation if we're in Christ. Gratitude is to be a natural result of our sanctification. And gratitude, thirdly, letter C, is to be a consistent theme in our prayer and in our praise. You're in Colossians chapter 3, and you're coming on to a section here at the end. We've already used verse 17, but I want you to see that he already used the word thankfulness there in the end of verse 15. And be thankful... Now pick up verse 16 of Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then the verse we already use, 17, whatever you do, and First Thessalonians 5, 17, in everything give thanks, but specifically as we gather corporately, I take it, we're to sing psalms, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that edify one another and we're to have a spirit of thankfulness when we do that in our hearts be thankful i don't know if you like the music today or not i picked it out you send me a note if you didn't like it i might change i might not it did occur to me when i was singing along this morning that i never picked really a traditional hymn for us to sing on thanksgiving a very traditional holiday and some of you probably missed not having a traditional hymn I usually try to have at least one traditional hymn. But then other people, they say, why don't you take and have a bonfire with those hymnals back there and get rid of them? They don't really say that, but they're really happy not to sing a traditional hymn. I don't know what your preference is. I'm going to keep picking out the hymns, and I pick out what I like to sing, so that's what we sing. (laughs) My point isn't to draw attention on the, the, the music wars, and there's really not that bad here what kind of instruments play and whether you like the choir or not or whatever. I personally felt that you would have to have something wrong with you to not be encouraged and enabled with the kinds of words and the tunes that were going on here today that it didn't draw out thankfulness in your hearts. So if you were hung up that you didn't didn't have a traditional hymn, now thank we all our God, shame on you. Shame on you. You missed an opportunity to gather with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to be grateful and to be thankful. And the words of the hymns today very much helped us do that and assisted us to do that. My point is, I can't make you do that. You have to do that on your own. You have to come together. And by joining your voice with the congregation, we teach one another with these words. We encourage one another with these words. But characteristic of our singing should be much thanksgiving. Turn to Philippians 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go back. You only have to turn one page in my Bible to the left to Philippians 4, 4. And notice that it's to be present in our prayer life as well. Not only in our praise, but in our prayer life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near or at hand. He's right here, so um, let it affect your behavior. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication... What's the next phrase? With thanksgiving, wow, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Again, I know that the burdens of the heart can be overwhelming. You, for example, could have a child that is so far from Christ and so trapped in sin that you you literally weep and wail over your child. And when you pray, you hardly know how to pray. And it seems that thanksgiving is far from your heart. I'm not saying God doesn't hear you in your pain and in your grief as you intercede on behalf of this broken child, this Prodigal. But I'm saying as you consistently praise and prayer and pray and praise, you ought to hear thankful words. You ought to have a spirit of gratitude in your prayer life. There's other evidences of this in Scripture. Paul in First Timothy told us to pray for our leaders and to be thankful. Checkpoint. Thankless prayer and praise, in my opinion, you could even put that on there if you wanted to, in PV's opinion, thankless prayer and praise is often worthless prayer and praise. I think that's true. I think because often when we are not thankful in our prayer life, we have turned selfish in our prayer life and we are trying to get God to do what we want him to do always and we've forgotten to be thankful. prayerless thankless excuse me thankless prayer and praise is often worthless prayer and praise proverb says in proverbs 17 3 the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold but the lord tests the heart the lord tests the heart so what's going on in your heart today god knows now let's conclude with the words of jesus you don't have to turn there but i want you to listen for just a minute Some of you will recall this passage from when we were preaching through Matthew a few years ago. I just want to point something out in Matthew chapter 15. When you get to verse 16, Jesus is talking about what defiles a person. Is it what goes into a person or what comes out of a person that makes you dirty? Now, it does matter what goes in you, but you might recall that I called this the five guys verse when we were preaching through this and that I thought Jesus would eat hamburgers and Mountain Dew. Verse 17, Do you not see, Jesus says, that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? See? It's no big deal. That's not the big deal. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles the person. Isn't that interesting? Now, yes, we should care about what we put in our mouths for lots of different reasons. But God is far less concerned about whether you eat at Five Guys than what's going on in your heart because what goes on in your heart, what will, will demonstrate and become on display through your words. So our, our homework assignment this week, church, is to listen to ourselves And are we hearing any words that could be construed as thankful words? Do we demonstrate a spirit of gratitude? Are we thankful in our thinking? Because if you're not thankful in your heart, you're not thankful in your thinking, you certainly will not be thankful in your words. Next week, thankful living, letting God work in us that we would live thankful lives. Will you stand and bow in prayer with me, please? Father, we always need your help. We're easily distracted. We're easily discouraged. We're easily defeated. And so, would you renew in us a, a new joy in our salvation? Help us to remember your good hand upon us. Help us to be growing in our sanctification. And as we hear ourselves speak this week, Lord, help us to hear words of gratitude and thanksgiving that we would be thinking thanksgiving. May your church be a thankful church. May this pastor be a thankful pastor. We do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ above all else and our great salvation so rich and so free. It's in his name that we've gathered, that we've sung, that we've preached, that we've prayed, and now in his name we depart. Amen.